Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode at long last of Mangum Talks TV. Spencer, we're reviving it. How are you? Surprised. Flabbergasted. Overjoyed. We've returned. It's our first. So we are going to be releasing episode four of our Mandalorian coverage. That was recorded back in April. It was recorded a long time ago. We're going to release that. This is our actual first recording. It's October 27th. It's the first recording we've had since April 15th of this year. It's been a long time. Spencer, how you been? Well, you know, it's not like really anything's been going on this year. I mean, it's been really a really pretty laid back year with no major events to report, I feel. You know, it's just kind of been a vast void between one episode and the next. Yeah, nothing going on, uh, obviously. No, uh, I've not I've not been in great health, but I am now back in good health. So that is pretty much the reason for the long delay. Um, that and, you know, Spencer works like a dog. But um, <laughs> I uh, had a bit of a shaky health situation there for a few months. I have ticked back up. I am, I am back. I do not um, claim any sort of handicap for this episode, Spencer. So I am back in fighting shape. You think I would allow you a handicap in terms of our show? No, sir. I am ready to go. I'm rearing for our coverage of episode five of The Mandalorian. We have this episode we're going to record right now. We have three more that we're going to do. And then we're going to jump into the season two coverage of Mandalorian, which debuts on where, Spencer? It debuts on Disney Plus and it debuts on, I think, October 30th, was it? Yep. On a Friday before Halloween. Uh, Very, very Disney Plus move, right? That's a very, (laughs) it's a very kids platform move. But yeah, we're going to get season two of The Mandalorian, which I'm really excited about. If for no other reason than they were able to get the filming of The Mandalorian season two in Under the Wire pre-COVID. They got everything done before uh, March of this year when things started shutting down due to COVID. And it's probably one of the most popular ubiquitous series that we're going to get a new season of. In any um, uh, in any short term, right? Because so many of the shows that we love, Succession's a good one that we've covered on this podcast before. It's it's filming got disrupted, so Mandalorian got in under the wire. We're going to get the full season of Mandalorian season two, but after that, it's just going to be a, a dearth of content for a while. I fear. And I think it's a great position for Mandalorian to be in because what is its competition right now? Nothing. There is a void when it comes to television. And like you said, it is only going to get worse. We've still got a few trailing shows that, that were you know, in pre-production that they've been able to get get out in some way. But going forward, in some ways, I feel like this is going to be a great moment for animation to start taking over the television industry. Because what the hell else are they going to do? I don't know. I know that they, they've opened some studios back with big precautions, you know, scrubbing everything down. Um, a good example would be like the the West Wing reunion special sure. um, that they did. I don't know if you watched that. Did you watch that? No, I didn't. I actually wanted to ask you how it was. Yeah. So in effect, it was they just did a live reading of an episode called Hartsfield Landing from when Bartlett was running for re-election, I believe, in season three. And they just did a stage play of it. But they did it during COVID times and they were able to do it with all the safety protocols, et cetera, et cetera. I think a lot of the... Um, a lot of the the networks and the studios are going to be able to do that. It's just going to take them a little bit of time. So right. I'm really glad we got Mandalorian because I think it's going to bridge the gap for us a little bit. But all that to say that new content after Mandalorian, I'm not quite sure what we're going to get. There's at least going to be a gap. Like you said, some studios have started to open back up. Some other studios have decided new ways that they can release material. But how long does it take to make a show? And that's the kind of void we're looking at for the next few months. Yeah, seriously. And never mind what's going on in the rest of the country. Um, I feel like this is just perfect timing, right, Spencer? 
Doesn't oh. matter. You voted Biden. You stayed home. You voted Trump. Let's all hold hands. Let's watch Star Wars and have a have a grand old time. You know, that is a so Star Wars is the ultimate coming together experience. I've always argued this and you've expressed it perfectly. Yes, absolutely. So let's jump into episode five of The Mandalorian titled The Gunslinger. Spencer's been so long, I don't remember the format. I know that I'm supposed to do a recap of some sort. What else are we covering? Well, other things that we do is our quintessential best line of the episode, which, as we've established in prior shows, you are the god emperor of. Another thing we love to do for this, given the inherent nostalgia value that Star Wars holds for both of us, is best nostalgia moment. Going through the various things that we just think are quintessential <laughs> Star Wars and remind us of the childhood glee that we both still express <laughs> for this area. Oh, that's going to be a that's going to be a surefire one this episode. <laughs> this episode is jam packed. This is a fascinating episode to me because I would say it's I wouldn't say it's necessarily the nadir of the season. I think I liked this one a little bit better than the last one, but this season is kind of a valley when it comes to you know, like overall quality of the episode. But it is so jam-packed with glorious nostalgia that I still can't look at it except gleeful. Yeah, and it's, I would say of all the episodes of season one, this is the most, I would say, standard, off-the-shelf, compact episode. It's exactly what I think John Favreau was trying to accomplish when he set out to make The Mandalorian. It is a Western in space set mm-hmm. in the Star Wars universe. universe. It's a discrete story from beginning to end of the episode and it is very clearly in the star wars universe not just because we know the characters at this point but because oh my god spencer yes indeed we go to tatooine i mean the list we got here of the various references to all the great things of the original movies in terms of tatooine moss eisley even some cameos from characters we haven't seen since star wars a new hope it's just great it is lovely. Let's start with a recap, then we will do nostalgic, then we'll do line of the episode, then nostalgic moment of the episode, and then uh, wrap up with any um, final thoughts uh, for episode five of The Gunslinger. So we start with Mando flying the Razor's Crest. That's his uh, ship. Did you know that was the name of his ship? Yeah, I had forgotten it up until that moment, uh, but yes, now it's coming back to me. Damn it, should have quizzed you. Being chased by someone. Presumably another bounty hunter who has one of these tracking fobs for Baby Yoda. Again, we're not 100% sure how this technology works. Just that whoever has a tracking fob can find Baby Yoda somehow. Uh-huh. So I, I don't know. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Hopefully at some point in season two we'll get an answer to that. Um, the person who is this unnamed bounty hunter who is chasing Mando commits high crimes and misdemeanor here with this line. I can bring you in warm or I can bring you in cold. Not quite sure what he, why he would test fate that way. Yeah, that is straight trademark theft when you've got somebody under the gun. Don't do that. That is just your movie moment where they pull things back up on you. And Spencer's a lawyer. He, he knows what he's talking about here. Uh, <laughs> Mando jams the brakes, um, hits the brakes on the boys. Um, hits him with that's my line and blows our uh, unnamed bounty hunter out of the sky. And well, not the sky, out of space, I guess. And it, I, I love that this is such a classic Star Wars battle, and that it's a physics be damned kind of moment. The guy air breaks in space; yep. they're, they're 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 banking whatever else, but we don't care. This is this is classic Star Wars uh, st- star battles, and it is just great. Even well, down then, to having the uh, new the uh, New Hope tracking computer on the. Uh, the uh, chasing mercenaries computer. <laughs> I do love that. That um, on the Razor's Crest too, we get that sort of like, um, like really old school technology that we saw in the seventies. I like yeah. that they're bringing that back a little bit, and it makes sense because I mean we're set right after the end of Return of the Jedi. I will give 
to show a little bit of credit here. I'm not sure it was supposed to be an air brake. I think he fired the engines the opposite yeah. way. That would be my guess there. So it's kind of like a ship, right? Yeah, I, that, I agree that that is probably what they're going for. It certainly looks like an air brake, but I agree. Probably he just simply was able to reverse his engines and cause that kind of brake effect to occur. Right. But, like if you're in like an ocean liner or something, you're trying to like stop. That's how they do it, I think. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've always liked about the technology in Star Wars is that it doesn't need to make sense along the lines of our technology. It doesn't need to be universally high tech because it's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It would make more sense if it was a kind of a mixed schizo tech between old and new. And I love the visual aesthetic that produces because of it. Agreed. Um, but this little trick does cost him what appears to be a blown engine, if not other things. And oh, Mando goes, gets up to turn on what I, I, I took this scene to mean he was um, turning on auxiliary power there. Mm-hmm. It seemed to work. And he takes off for the nearest planet. <laughs> Tatooine, he is going, because we know this because he says he is going to Mos Eisley. Um, the, uh, I guess, air traffic controller there of the planet says Mos Eisley. That's where he's at, and he clears Mando for landing. So Mando is going to Tatooine. I'm super excited. We thought we had Mando uh, or Tatooine, I guess, earlier on in the series. We did not. In fact, it was just another uh, sand planet. This actually is Tatooine from A New Hope, the planet that Luke Skywalker grew up um, with his, quote, aunt and uncle, where Ben Kenobi hung out for uh, the entire time that Luke grew up to watch him and where they eventually escaped with Princess Leia out of Tatooine and all of the glorious events of the Skywalker series unfolded. It is not a Star Wars series without an appearance of Tatooine. It is the quintessential Star Wars planet, and it is glorious to have it here with us. Though it's interesting to see, Moss Eisley has changed a little bit since last we've seen it. It seems like it's a little bit less of a hive of scum and villainy than it was last time. Yeah, and we get a real um, real clear evidence of that in one particular shot, but we'll cover that when we get there. Mando lands. His ship is sure making a hell of a lot of noise. I thought um, the show did a really good job of, you know, bringing you along that, you know, he really does need to be where he's at, which is with a, uh, somebody to help fix a ship, right? It's a Mm -hmm. a mechanic. And out comes Amy Sedaris. (laughs) What floored of, I mean, this show does a great job and I've talked about this in other episodes. This show does a great job of cameos. And I think that, is a factor of just how popular John Favreau is in Hollywood right now. He is the man in Hollywood. He's able to get Amy Sedaris of all people to be uh, the mechanic here. And she walks out, she meets Mando, um, not before Mando um, takes baby Yoda and <gasps> yikes, leaves him in a storage compartment. Not sure that was the best plan. He's a new dad. He's still learning how this works. Right. And he also doesn't doesn't want to be waving Baby Yoda around because presumably a bunch of other people have tracking fobs who will be following him to the planet. And uh, Amy Sedaris, anyway, meets Mando, and she immediately starts the upsail. I love how this character is written. She starts triaging the ship. Well, it's kind of like when you go and you take your car into a mechanic, and it's, I don't know about you, Spencer, but it's pretty clear to most mechanics that I don't know anything about cars. Yeah. And they start, well, yep, you're going to need to do blip, and you're going to need to do that. And they just start talking before you, before you know it, you're in for like 800 bucks. Oh, yeah. You go in for an oil change and suddenly you find out that, actually, I'm sorry, you need a whole new car. I can't let you leave the lot until you buy a new one right now. Kind of what Amy Sedaris is doing here. Um, she has a name, but I'm going to call her Amy Sedaris. And Mando offers her 500 Imperial credits, I guess is sort of a, a down payment on the work she's going to do. Uh, Spencer, are we surprised that Imperial credits spend it all on Tatooine anymore? <sighs> A bit, given the scene that happens next, which I'm guessing is what you're referencing, of where, you know, 
if it was any other world, I might say, eh, you know, this is on the outer rim. They're accepting whatever currency works. But we cut right from this scene to a suggestion that the Imperial Garrison and Moss Eisley did not fare well before this war was over. No, Mando takes off, uh, presumably to find work, and he walks past a group, this is the scene you're referencing, a large collection of stormtrooper heads on spikes. Yeah. It is a clear demonstration that there was some kind of large-scale revolt in this city, and the entire garrison died wholesale, and is now left as an artifact to warn people about, warn the the, uh, Empire about ever coming back. You don't think Luke just can't, like, left... Um, you know, at, indoor and went straight to Tatooine, do you? <laughs> you know, I, I just buried my dad. I'm going to go bury him back. I'm, I'm going to go back to Tatooine and wrap things up. Possible. <laughs> kind of favoring a, kind of favoring a popular revolt, but perfectly possible Luke just returned and cleared shop. Yeah, this scene is pretty dark for the show, though, to have all those heads on spikes. Um, but at least you're seeing like a helmet. You're not seeing it like an actual human head. Uh, cut back to Amy Sedaris, who's playing cards with her droids in Outwalks yeah. Baby Yoda. I gotta ask, um, did you recognize it was Amy Sedaris? Because I didn't. I had to look her up on the cast page. It was one of those, yeah, yeah. It was one of those things where I said, "I swear I know her." I swear I know her, and I looked it up. I said, "Oh God, of course, Amy Sedaris." This is one of those things. Between the makeup and the wig, she was unidentifiable to me. It was like you said, a vague impression of "I know you." Don't can't put can't put can't put a finger on you. Look on the cast page. How did they get her in this? But yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it, you get that a lot, and we're gonna get that um, in the next episode too with Mr. Bill Burr. I can't excite. I'm excited to go. Uh, through that one with you. But anyway, back to the recap. And Amy Sedaris sees Baby Yoda. I was terrified here, especially when she immediately goes to pick him up. Um, but it's clear pretty quickly that she's good people. She might be a little bit of a slimy mechanic, but she's good people. Did, did you notice the, the uh, callback between the sound that Baby Yoda is making before um, Amy Sedaris sees what it is? No. Uh, the sound is very similar to the one that Obi-Wan Kenobi made to scare off the uh, Tusken Raiders, that crap dragon sound. It's almost oh, wow. like... Once, once, a, once a Jedi arrives on Tatooine, they just suddenly can make that noise when they need to. <laughs> I did not catch that at all. That's that's uh, that's a deep cut there, Spencer. Good work. She starts talking to him. She even offers him food. <clears throat> the droid presumably says, what the hell do I feed this little weird creature? She says, I don't know, something with bones in it. Good pretty, call. Pretty good call. <laughs> Since we, The only two things that we've... Uh, We've seen Baby Yoda ingest, um, is, I think he attempted a frog and then some bone broth. He has attempted a frog a few times. I think he got one down successfully. But yeah, the idea of something with bones, that is what Baby Yoda runs on. He needs his calcium. Yeah, pretty good. She says, I'm going to look after you until the Mandalorian gets back, <laughs> and then I'm going to charge him extra. <laughs> I love that line. We have a theme. Uh, uh, Mando walks back, walks into Mos Eisley's cantina. I believe this is Mos Eisley's cantina. I believe this is the same cantina where Han Solo met um, Greedo and uh, Greedo shot first. It uh, is I, I, totally. I stand by that Greedo shot first. Don't tell me any different. <laughs> yeah, the, the Star Wars enhanced version did not happen. This is totally Mos Eisley cantina. It's the exact same set. Is the set just preserved or do they rebuild it for this? I'm pretty sure they rebuilt it. And I'm pretty sure... It, but The reason I, I, I make that point that they rebuilt it is because... Man, the care that John Favreau takes with this show, right? He clearly wants you to. He said this is a separate Star Wars story. It's at a time that we haven't seen in anything, in any of the the now canon books or the cartoon shows or the movies or anything. But he wants you to be connected to that Star Wars universe. And having Mos Eisley's Cantina there with the same droid waiting on them is a great way to do it. Um, go ahead. 
And I think we really get a suggestion from this scene that Tatooine, if possible, has become even a bit more sleepy a place than it was back under Luke. Mossos the Cantina is not full. It is not the you know crowded emporium that when we last saw it to be. It is a relatively quiet bar. Now it's the middle of the day, possibly that's what's going on, but it definitely seems like the overall population of Tatooine has either gotten more calm or just fewer. I don't think the the middle of the day thing really stops the the folks in Tatooine because I mean no. they were middle of the day in Episode Four and there was some day drinkers in there. Um, anyway, uh, Mando walks up to the bartender and asks for uh, work, and the droid explains that the bounty immediately the, the, the droid immediately susses out that he's a bounty hunter and explains that the guild doesn't operate there. Mando tries to explain that he's not there for the guild, and then this kid named Toro Calican speaks up. Which is a delightfully douche name, so perfectly named character. Boy, this character's tough, boy. He is a grade-A douchebag. Uh, says that if he's looking for work, Mando might as well sit down. Sure. Getting his, getting, like, really playing the role of big boss here, right? And the impression I get from this kid, and I think we get some evidence for it later on, is that he is a bored rich kid that has decided he's going to be a bounty hunter because he has no, no, no other idea what he wants to do with himself. I think that is a very fair interpretation of what the hell this character is doing. He shows the fob that he has. Apparently, he is working with the guild. He's got a job, and it's for someone named Finnick Shane, uh, who apparently made her name uh, killing an elite company. Mando explains this to the kid. I'm not even sure the kid knows this. And yet another reference to the Star Wars universe that we know and love. He says she made her name, you know, killing an elite company. She actually worked for the Huts. Now yeah. we know from. Return of the Jedi, that um, Jabba the Hutt was on Tatooine, so the Huts did have a presence uh, in Tatooine at one point, but the Huts were really like the pinnacle of gangsters in the realm for a oh, long time. They're, they're the mafia dons of the, of the Star Wars universe. Yeah, absolutely. Mando starts to walk off, and the kid says, look, it's my first job. You can have the money. I just need to do the job so I can get in the guild. And over and over again, you know, we know that Mando is a bounty hunter. We know that he has chosen this life for himself. But the way to his heart is to to, to hit him in the feels, right? Mm-hmm. That's how you get Mando to act, is to appeal to his better nature. Right. If you are open and honest and you know pry on his empathy, he will respond. And he does so here. Now, the fact the kid offers him the entire bounty is probably a nice little cherry on top. Sure. But... It's also a further demonstration that Mando's just consistently willing to help those in need. Mando agrees to help him, takes the tracking fob. He tells the kid to meet him in a half hour with two speeder bikes. Spencer, do you, do you think Mando really knew what he was doing here, or was this kind of a shot in the dark? He didn't really have like a full plan, right? This was just step one. Mando did not plan on getting attacked in space. He did not plan on his starship getting wrecked, and he certainly <laughs> did not plan on ending up on Tatooine. The man is working by the seat of his pants right now. How dare you, Spencer? That was, that was too aggressive in the Mando doesn't know what he's doing category. I only Mando, wanted you to tip your toe in. I didn't want you to jump in. Mando has no long-term plan. This is what I'm saying. Mando goes back to his ship, and he sees Baby Yoda is missing. He, like the rest of us, freaks out a little bit, storms out, sees that Amy Sedaris is with him. Baby Yoda was sleeping. She immediately chastises him for waking Baby Yoda. Uh, two, two brief comments just on a prior scene before we leave it too far behind. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, uh, Finnick, is a f- first name is our, of, of our target, is a perfect name for a person that's hiding out in the desert, given I'm presuming that's being drawn from the uh, desert-dwelling Finnick foxes. Uh, and oh, what did my you... wife is going to love that reference. Oh, boy. Sarah's going to love that. She loves those little Finnick foxes, the big ears. Oh, the massive ears that they used to you know, radiate off the heat that they have in the desert. Adorable so little creatures. So cute. Uh, 
Uh, other thing, what did you think of Toro breaking the tracking fob? Uh, just, I don't know. I just thought he's a douche. It's just so. It is. It's perfectly in character from what we see him do later, of where his solution to any problem is the first thing that comes into his head. Doesn't matter if it makes any long-term sense or if it's a good idea for you know ultimately resolving the problem. I've got an issue where I can't trust Mando and I think he'll betray me. I'll break the device that lets either of us track them. He's, yeah, he's just sure. Kind of a, he's just kind of an idiot. Um, I didn't really. Yeah, I mean, I he did that, but I it didn't even give it a second thought. I just thought the kid's stupid, and he he does stupid things over and over again. Okay. Mando then gets a lecture from um, Amy Sedaris on what he needs to learn about raising a young one. Um, all very valid points that she brings up. You'd like you can't just leave him on a ship. <laughs> what are Good you call. doing? <laughs> Parenting one hundred and one. She explains that she started in on the fuel leak that he has, and she mentions that she's not using droids because, and I didn't reference this before, but Mando, one of the things he required of her is that she does not use her droids for the work, which is probably a real pain in the ass for her. If oh, yeah. Being honest, her, her business model clearly is to rely on those droids. Did, did you recognize the type of droid, by the way, that she uses, the little three guys that are running around? No. These are the pit droids that we saw back in uh, Star Wars The Phantom Menace during the Episode pod racing. Episode one during the pod racing. Oh, good call. Yeah, now, now I do recognize them. Um, yeah, very, very good. Uh, very good reference there. He says, um, she says, well, I, you know, I, I'm doing the work because I think you're good for the money. Do you have a job? I think you have a job. You have a job? And I think she's needling him <laughs> on if he has a job to know if she needs to up the price uh, for the, the work that she's doing here on the Razor's Crest. Uh, very much so. And one of the things I love about Mando here is that she's she's busting his balls a bit. She's really browbeating him when it comes to, you messed up, you can't do this, this is inappropriate. Mando just takes it, and the end of the conversation just says thank you. That's the kind of guy he is, is that, okay, you're right, I messed up, this is a learning experience for me, I'm going to get better. And that's how he, that's how he rolls. Well, he, is pre- he, he doesn't have a lot of ego around taking care of baby Yoda. this is true he's just he's just along for the ride with that he doesn't he does not pretend to be an expert uh mando and toro then take off and we get adventure music <laughs> uh, th- this is probably my favorite scene of the episode the reappearance of the uh, the speed of the speeder bikes that we last saw on indoor during return of the jedi and the wonderful music and atmosphere and ambiance of them just racing together through the the, the uh, dune sea is just flawless it's wonderful i adore it yeah it's awesome uh, Mando stops, points ahead, and Toro gets his binoculars. He sees two Tusken Raiders on Bantams. Um, another t- just shout out from episode four. I mm-hmm. new hope. Toro talks some shit and then drops his binoculars only to see that two Tusken Raiders are standing there in front of him. Mando then starts signing with the Tusken Raiders to negotiate with them. Spencer, I can't remember. Shame on me. Smack my hand. I don't remember. Does anybody sign with the Tusken Raiders in episode four? Or is this a new phenomenon? This is a new phenomenon to me, and I kind of interpret this as being like a, a kind of like universal trade language rather than something that's unique to them, because we have no reason to believe that you know Mando's ever met them before. But it's it's a nice little touch to see this kind of thing in there. I also want to know what's the over under on the number of languages that Mando half knows. Oh, uh, I'm guessing like more than a dozen. I mean, this seems to be an inherent part of his profession that he has at least a passing familiarity with a lot of languages to get by. Yeah, it seems like a really good skill for him to have. Um, now, we, we get multiple uh, examples of him not being particularly good. Uh, but, you know, he's uh, it, 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 he makes do here. I mean, he speaks common. He speaks freaking Jawa. He does. He, he knows the sign language. He speaks Jawa very poorly. 
Yes, he speaks like a Wookiee, as we learned previously. Very <laughs> poorly. He gets by. This it's it's an impressive list, and it it really sets up a moment we get later that we'll get to. But as much as he is still kind of young and inexperienced by Mandalorian terms, by everybody else's standards, this guy is a diehard weathered veteran. Yeah, and it just goes to show that when you are a Mandalorian, the the bar is set extremely high because. To your point, he's a he's a very accomplished bounty hunter, very capable bounty hunter at this point. But he, we get in multiple episodes of this season, we get indications that he does not view himself as particularly senior, and that is because in that world he really isn't. It takes mm-hmm. a long time um, to be a to be a seasoned Mandalorian bounty hunter, and that just makes you wonder. I'm going on a bit of a tangent here. That just makes you wonder just how long uh, Boba Fett's damn resume is, right? It's hard to say with Boba Fett. I mean, Boba Fett's resume is probably colossal, but he doesn't seem to be working within the same channels that Mando does. I always interpreted Boba Fett, and we, again, we didn't get much background on him on the actual um, movies. It was mostly in the expanded universe. But he always struck me as being very much a loner. He always struck me as very much running his own group and operating under his own terms. But in terms of the overall experience, yeah, it's hard to imagine the number of decades that guy put behind him of surviving everything the universe could throw at him. Spencer... I'm going to have to wrap your knuckles here occasionally. We do not know anything about Boba Fett in the expanded universe. That shit got tossed. So that's the legends. I know you're going to hate that, but that's not true anymore. (laughs) That is very true. I need to just refer to it now by the correct term, the legends universe. Would you agree, though, that the amount of material written on Boba Fett in the Legends universe would fill volumes? Yeah, it was it was great. Definitely one of my uh, favorite bit characters that they fleshed out a lot in the now defunct Legends series. But it does make sense that he would be running in separate circles because he would be, you know, at the time Boba Fett. You know, he was he was elite bounty hunter. Not necessarily, I mean, maybe because of his, his resume, we don't know. I just posited that question. But also because of, you know, his dad was was Jango Fett, it's who true. was, you know, in bed with the Empire. So it makes sense that Mando's running in a little bit different uh, circles here. But anyway, back to well, the, re- oh, wait, go ahead. Yeah, just last point on that. It, it, I mean, like you said, the just the fact that he has a just on-site reputation with the Empire just tells you volumes right there. Like, you know. In Empire Strikes Back, when a collection of the best bounty hunters the Empire can get on relatively short notice are brought together, not only is he there, but Darth Vader recognizes him enough on site to, to look at him and say, no disintegrations, because he knows his modus operandi. Yeah, yeah. And it's clear that, like, and he's the last one he comes to. You can tell he's kind of the big boy in the room yeah. in that scene. Uh, but anyway, we, we cut back to Mando, and basically Mando makes a deal with the Tusken Raiders. Hey, you give me an idea of where somebody is i don't even i don't know how you would communicate finnick to these tusk raiders he's probably just wondering you know you, you basically the the old school you know adventure movie hey have you did you see anybody come through here which way did they go kind of deal yeah and, and, and also and also paying for passage and also paying for passage too right yeah so they, he has to give them the the binoculars <laughs> so he takes Fennec's binoculars Fennec or not Fennec, uh toro toro yep. yells those were brand new mando yep they were <laughs> so <laughs> Kind of given that he is teaching the kid a little bit here, although the kid's really not picking up what he's putting down. Well, I mean, in this moment, if Mando hadn't been there, Toro just dies, right? Like, yeah, know, yeah, he, the Tusken Raiders would have killed him. Yeah, yeah, he, he would have tried to make a scene. The Tusken Raiders would have easily disarmed him, and they would have pulped his brain. End of his journey. Yep, pretty, pretty, pretty. Well, at least to give Toro something, at least he knew not to go off without Mando or some help. So. This is true. He was he was hanging out, getting drunk in a bar until someone walked in. Another character that doesn't have a long term plan. <laughs> That's 
Spitzer high and mighty with the <laughs> planning. It matters. Star Wars characters. Uh, they take off, presumably with um, more information on where Finnick is, and Mando abruptly stops yet again. They army crawl over a ridge and see a dewback. Another callback creature. Yeah, uh, yeah. So the dewbacks. Um, we actually get more. I think we get more dewbacks from this season than we get in the first three movies, right? Because they become very important later on. Yeah, we, we, we get a dewback. We get. I think we get a stationary dewback in the original New Hope because again they had no budget mm-hmm. and couldn't animate. You know, really, you know, c- cause the creature to walk in a way that would look realistic. And then in the uh, enhanced version, we got to see one animated. But it's like in one scene of seeing some scout stormtroopers wander around the dunes. Here, we get to spend a bit of time with them. Yeah, we do. And um, anyway, they, so they, they kind of go up and uh, Mando says, look, you stay here. You cover me. Which, again, in traditional adventure, Western sort of tropes the cover me the cover me job spencer's the easy job that's the what you give to the person you you stay here you cover me that's the that's the low-hanging fruit i'm not even sure this kid's qualified for that to be honest with you no and in my mind again this is mando protecting the kid because mando knows he's got beskar he has got armor that will probably block most of what the enemy can throw at him or at least has better odds than seemingly the shirt that the the toro is wearing so yeah toro is useless for actually providing cover but this keeps him alive, at least a little bit longer. Yep. Um, he walks up. The dewback seems to have a dead rider attached to it. Kind of a tough way to go, right? To die and then have your foot just like on the the harness of like a dewback, or like in our world, it'd be like horses, right? <laughs> just being yeah. dragged along. Not a good look. The kid is prattling on about wanting the guy's blaster, and then boom, sniper shot. Shades of Spencer in a halo here. <laughs> Really set, really setting up Mando. Um, Finnick is is set up the scene, obviously, and is is firing sniper bolts at Mando. Mando takes off. He does get hit. It looks like a, glance, a, little bit, a little bit of a glancing blow, though, right? It wasn't like a direct hit, was it? It, it seemed like the second one looked a little bit more direct than the first, but in either case, like Mando says, his armor is good enough that at this range, it's enough to keep him intact. But again, this is a well-executed ambush by Finnick. If it hadn't been a Mandalorian and... How rare are they to be found? Her target would have been dead. Yeah, she's got to be like, the fucking luck I've got here. <laughs> Set this whole thing up. Predicated on the idea that a sniper shot will kill you. And what shows up? The one person I can't kill with a sniper shot. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he gets back. He says, look, she hit me in the in the steel. The kid says, I'm not wearing any steel. He says, no, you're not. <laughs> Mando says, they're going to wait until the dark. The kid says, well, what if she escapes? And here we go, Spencer. Wait for it. Wait for it, Spencer. She's got the high ground. <laughs> what it a reappears. What a reference. She's got the high ground, so she's going to wait for them. Apparently in the Star Wars universe, having the high ground is the most valuable currency that you could possibly have. And in this moment, more than, you know, sitting on a, volcan- a volcanic lava channel, kind of true. Sniper rifle commanding the one high ground surrounding area. Even if they try to retreat, they're dead. She can just pick them off at her leisure. And I, 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 would, I would think the logic here is... She could conceivably take off, but she knows if she takes off, they're going to go after her. And she's got them basically dead to rights here. So it behooves her to stay and wait till they're dead before she takes off. That's kind of the logic, right? Very much agree. Okay. Um, got the high ground and Mando gets on the bike. Mando then has a plan, right? Mm-hmm. And he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get on these bikes. We're going to basically go right at her and the kid's like what the hell are you talking about and he says well look i got this little thing it looks like a kind of like a flare gun 
we're gonna we're gonna fire this flare gun and that will disrupt her scope because I guess that's you know that that flash of light will will, will blind her and mm-hmm. we can basically get up to her this way. I thought it was a pretty pretty solid idea there for Mando. What'd you think? It's it is solid for what they have. But one of the things I appreciate about Mando and both the scene with respect to you know the limitations of his armor and this scene, he's openly acknowledging that there are risks here. That this is the plan we have based on the circumstance we have. Let's work with it. And he's okay with that. The kid is clearly nervous, just more nervous than he's been in his life. He's realizing, oh shit, your plan has a significant chance that we die. To which Mando just kind of shrugs and says, you wanted this. Yep, absolutely. So they do. They take off. And um, great chase scene here. This is a, oh, the yeah. second really good good chase scene that we have. And she eventually hits Mando's bike. Smart move there. Um, you know, it's kind of that, that thing, you know, if you got somebody on horseback coming at you, shoot the horse. I mean, you, you, it's a bigger target. You, mm-hmm. you mess them up. She shoots the bike. Mando goes flying. Uh, Mando fires the flare one last time, which allows the kid to get away and get up, you know, kind of breaking that sort of uh, barrier uh, of her scope to where he can get up really close to her. But what does that do? It leaves Mando um, there. Uh, defenseless and she gets a direct shot and we find out just how strong that steel is in this scene it, it stops this round but if i think if she'd fired twice it might have gotten through he is yeah. smoking by the, when he gets blown down but it, yep. it really shows again how much mando's already getting protective of this kid of where he's down but still rather than taking cover he takes the opportunity to fire off the flare to make sure the kid can get through yeah she hits him once she goes to hit him again not so fast finnick uh Ugh, this kid. If you have to uh, shoot, shoot. Don't talk. Such a douche. Anyway, they start hand-to-hand combat. Shocker here. She's easily easily winning. I pose to you this question, Spencer. Um, so this kid obviously decided, I know what I'm going to do with my life. I'm going to be a bounty hunter. Well, you would think, like any job you apply for, right, you have some tangible skill associated with that job. I don't see any skill that this kid has. He can't critically think. He can't fight hand-to-hand. He doesn't know equipment. He doesn't know any background on the target. It seems completely useless. In my mind, this kid read the comic book version of Han Solo's life <laughs> and then took his parents' trust fund and decided, I'm going to be a bounty hunter. And that's his story up through this moment. Uh, let's let's put a, a, a pin in that idea that he read Han Solo's story because there's another scene here that, that gives me, that makes me think maybe that's true. Um, uh, Mando shows up. Uh, that that Beskar did hold up pretty well, and he he tells her to put him up. She puts him up. He says, "Go ahead and handcuff handcuff yourself." She immediately, of course, recognizes him. A Mandalorian. It's been a long time since I've seen one of your kind. Mm-hmm. She immediately references Navarro. I think this is pretty telling here. And if I was Mando, I'd be pretty worried that the first thing out of her mouth amongst before seeing me is is Navarro. Now, Navarro, if you remember, is that planet that. Uh, Mando blasted his way out of with Baby Yoda, in effect putting the double middle fingers up in the air to the guild uh, and heading off completely on his own out into the galaxy. So for her to even reference that there, if I was Mando, it would give me pause that she knew a little bit more of my story than I was comfortable with. I I agree. And this would be one of the first moments of where if I was Mando, I'm suddenly like, oh, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm not leaving you alone with the kid. That's too much of an uncontrolled variable right there. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately he does. Now they only have one speeder. And Mando asks him, go find the dewback. The kid refuses. I think I would have just plopped the kid in the head and said, no, go do it. But Mando says, okay, fine, I'll do it. 
but he does tell her don't, it does say don't let her get near the bike uh and reminds him uh him being toro that that finnick is no good to us dead mm-hmm. great scene here with the kid and finnick just waiting next morning comes she pretends to wake up i love that move <laughs> oh, mm, uh, just just got up here mm-hmm. nice long sleep for me and she starts chatting um she offers him double to let her go he explains this is not about the money again to your theory pretty good theory here spencer uh that maybe maybe he's just a rich kid right because he doesn't care about the money he just wants to get in with the guild and then she she Picks up on that quickly, immediately, you know, changes her strategy and then starts to play to his ego. Oh, looks like Mando's calling all the shots. He's telling you what to do, huh? Mm-hmm. Pretty pretty smart move there. She, manipula- she manipulates him effortlessly. The only yeah. problem that she the only problem with her plan is that she could not have assumed how dumb he was. Yes. <laughs> He's too dumb. He's too dumb to even fall for her plan. He thinks he he can do the old the old double cross, but it, of course it's a really stupid idea. But anyway, we get there. She says that um, the the armor that Mando is wearing is actually worth more than she is. Yet again, not about the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she goes in on Navarro again, and now she tips her hand. It's about you know to the kid about what she knows about Mando's story. She explains that you know there was a Mandalorian who shot up a bunch of guild folk on Navarro and went off with a high priced target. Well, the kid bites on that. Oh yeah. Because he wants to, it's clear, he has one goal here. He really wants to get in with the guild. Mm-hmm. That's his he, thing. Your reference to the Legend universe? His goal here is to be a legend. That's what he's after. <laughs> he actually says that. Ugh, he so does, terrible. and it's so bad. Um, she, uh, he asks, well, how can you be sure that Mando is the right one? Kind of a silly question. I would say, well, how many fucking Mandalorians do you know running around the galaxy? But, uh, <laughs> you know, she, she, takes the, she takes the question and she says, well, how about this? He probably still has the asset with him, and I heard it was a child. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have this discrete story that we're dealing with. Amanda needs to get out of this situation, right, in this episode. But it's pretty daunting that she knows there's a Mandalorian, shot up the guild, has an asset, it's a child. So it makes you wonder, like, he really isn't safe anywhere right now. Very much so, yes. Um. So, where are we at? Uh, she heard it was a child. She says, you want to be a bounty hunter, make the best deal for yourself and survive. Love that line. Definitely mm-hmm. a, a potential line of the episode. The kid, in his absolute wisdom, shoots her. Spencer, what is he thinking when he shoots her? I, I was going to ask you there. It's just like, <laughs> the, there are many options he could have picked here. This is the dumbest one possible. It's like... Even if you're down with this plan, or even if you want to shoot her later, shoot her after you won. Keep her tied now. Wait till you get back to Moss Eisley before you pull this trick. There's nothing about this that allows you to survive this episode. It seems like he shot her just so he could deliver this line. Yeah. That's good advice. But if I took those binders off, I'd be a dead man. <sighs> if the Mandalorian is worth more than you are, more than you are, well, who wouldn't want to be a legend? Thanks for the tip. The worst. He's the worst. This is a character trying to be badass and having no idea how you actually do that. It's like, okay, point number one. This is guaranteed money. This is guaranteed success. Keep this. You can betray Mando at any point in the future when you have a situation where you actually can win. Point number two. She's a lot better than you, and she just lost to the Mandalorian. What do you think your odds are, idiot? Yeah, he's really, really, really stupid. 
Uh, but anyway, the kid takes off. He he does kill her though, so she's dead. Is um, she? Uh, seemed seemed to be dead. Appeared dead. Definitely appeared dead. We get a weird ending scene though that we'll address when we get to it. Yep. Mando gets back on gets back and he's on the Dubak. Spencer, how the hell did he find this Dubak? Like he literally this is like low-key one of the things I don't understand about the episode. He literally said, Okay, I'm gonna set out on foot into a desert and I'm gonna find this Dubak. And he does within like maybe eight hours. There is a suggestion. I think we get like a brief little scene of where he has a distant little heat reading that he's going towards. So he's got something in his helmet that's letting him see it. But yeah, this is a this is a. a <laughs> the fact that he caught it alone is impressive. The fact he caught it this quick that he could make it back doubly impressive. Because those things fact, are slow, man. They are plodding creatures. The, the The idea behind these is that they apparently survive well in desert climates rather than that they are speedy. Yeah. It um, yeah. But I do appreciate that uh, this is apparently Mando making good use of his lizard riding skills that he acquired earlier in the season. He does, yeah. Because, <laughs> we, yeah, he, he he now feels very comfortable in the Dubek. He had tame one at one point. Well, it, it, was like, it was like a tinier subspecies, but I'm willing to say that it was some subspecies of Dubek that he was riding earlier. What, what was the name of that character that said, I have spoken? I'm trying, I'm trying to remember his name. I can't remember his name. He's my well, favorite guy, though. Well, I'll look it up while you're presenting the next part. Yeah, I think it is actually a dewback, though. I don't think it's a subspecies. I think it's the, the actual thing, which is a little on the nose, but I, I think that's what they're going for. But anyway, I could be wrong. Um, Finnick, he sees Finnick, presumably dead. She's still laying there, and he takes off toward Mos Eisley. Cue theme music. Uh, quill. Quill. K- quill. K- yeah, quill. Yeah. Yeah, K U, couple I's, L. Yeah, the real breakout star of the oh, season. Oh, yeah. One. Mando walks into the shop um, where a ship is uh, after seeing the kid's speeder there. Kid walks out. He's got Amy Sedaris at gunpoint, and he's holding Baby Yoda. <gasps> You've just forfeited your life. Yeah, no way he survives this. Uh, may, he, they maybe could have talked his way out of it, but he, he had the kid. That was never going to happen. Ask him to put his hands up, which Mando does. Amy Sedaris goes, walks over to cuff him. She sees that he's got the flare. She says, you're smarter than you look. Whispers it to Mando's ear. Uh, the kid is really pumping his own ego here. And then the flare goes off. Mando moves quickly to the left. Kid looks up. Bang. Mando shoots him. Uh, Baby Yoda goes flying. Very worried for Baby Yoda in this scene. Do not like, Spencer, do not like when Baby Yoda goes falling somewhere. That is very uncomfortable for me. Yeah, in, in, in ter- I, I was thinking while I was watching this scene about, in terms of what actually got Mando's pulse elevated, the kid falling was probably the high moment to what actually got him nervous. Nothing with respect to Toro. Don't even think he ever regarded Toro as even having the slightest chance of even harming him. No, but, but it was it was when Baby Yoda fell. They start looking around for Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda, ever the clever little lad, uh, has hidden behind um, something, just like a little... Uh, something there uh, and and amy sedaris goes to reach down now did you catch this moment when she goes to reach down to get baby yoda after the scene he puts his hand up like like he's almost going to do the force thing and what i love about how they've played this through the episodes is now we don't know when baby yoda lifts his his hand up we don't know if he's just being a baby <laughs> or if some shit's about to go down spencer I, that is a great call. I haven't, really, I haven't really thought about that yet. But yeah, it adds a wonderful degree of ambiguity and tension for the audience. Where we know this guy is an unusually strong force user, period, much less as a baby. Now just the sheer act of waving can now be kind of intimidating. Yeah, that's exactly what's happened. 
Um, but anyway, it, what we find out is he's just being a baby here. Uh, yeah. He feels very comfortable with Amy Sedaris. She picks him up. And um, she mentions that he Mando probably didn't get paid. So she's just like, she's very indirect, right? She didn't want to like say, so you're not going to pay me. She's like, well, she didn't pay for your job, did? Mm-hmm. Mando then, in maybe the dumbest thing he does in this entire season, Gives her inexplicably all of his Vescar. Oh, no, 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 I don't no. know what he's thinking here. It makes no sense. No, it's it, a it little isn't. out of character for him. I mean, he's never been like the best accountant, but this is just ridiculous. What it seemed like what he did was that he grabbed the kid's purse because uh, I think he was reaching out over the body. And I, like you said, though, it's the weirdest thing for you. Just ask how much is it? Maybe I need some money going forward. But he goes from, I had no money, to I have money, to let me give all my money away again. Oh, okay. So I think I misspoke. I said Beskar Bars. I think I wrote that wrong in my notes. I think you're right. I think he grabbed the kid's purse. The kid probably had Republic credits. Yes. Which, you know, obviously spend a lot better than the Imperial credits that he was tossing around. And he gives all of them. So now he leaves completely broke yet again. (laughs) Again. There is no long-term plan here. This is not a man who has a, you know, an, an end retirement goal. Day to how, day. It's how he What works. is he... Here's a question for you, Spencer. What's he eating? <sighs> I mean, how's he buying food? I'm... Fun question. There, he must just have a massive amount of preserved rations aboard that ship that he's living by. Yeah, that's the only thing that makes any sense. Uh, and I'm sure at this point, Baby Yoda's sick of that. So come on, Mando. Keep a little bit of money. Buy some more bone broth. <laughs> I was about to make that joke. Perfect. Yes. <laughs> uh, they take off, and final scene. You referenced this earlier. We see someone walk up to yet again. It looks like Fennec's dead corpse. All we see is boots. We don't know who it is. Boom, smash, cut. Episode over. And all we really see is there is a cape, and there is a weird kind of spur sound effect whenever this character walks. Do we, having both now seen the rest of the season, have an idea who this might be? Yeah, I do. Who? Who do you think it is? Um, he's the guy who has the chicken restaurant, um, and he uh, he helps peddle large amounts of methamphetamine um, to the guy who uh, used to be on that Disney show. Okay, uh, I did that. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito has done other things other than Breaking Bad. Let's establish that now. I have no idea what the name of his character is in this show, though. It's it's what what is it? What is it? Um, yeah, it's Moff Gideon. Moff Gideon, that's right. Yeah, uh, it's Moff Gideon, and that's who we think this is. And Moff Gideon obviously is tracking down Mando, and you know, clearly, uh, you got a bunch of bounty hunters who have fobs who are chasing the kid. Uh, I think that we're led to believe here that Moff Gideon, the peep, the person in the who has the boots that we see, uh, is is tracking him at a much faster rate than everybody else. That is the best interpretation I think we can have from the scene from what we see previous. In terms of, you know, the jingle effect of the boots, the cape, why he would even be there. It makes the most sense unless this is something that is just meant to be entirely a teaser for something we're getting the next season. Which I don't think is what they're doing. Okay. Anything else you want to cover on the recap before we go to best line of the episode? let's, Let's address it. Where would this episode rank in lexicon of the first season in your mind? Do you think it was a solid episode? Do you think it had problems? Do you think it was good? What's your opinion? Um, I think it is, it's one of the least memorable, but probably the tightest. Um, it doesn't try to do a lot. 
It's mm-hmm. a compact story. He arrives. It, it basically is like let's get let's get Mando on Tatooine. Let's establish that someone who is not just a rank and file bounty hunter is chasing him. Um, and you know, let's let's have a little fun along the way. That's basically what the episode is. That's a, like it's a really great way of summarizing it. This is a tight episode of television. It's successful. It does what it wants to do. It's not astounding. It has a couple character flaws. I think the character of uh, Toro Calican is kind of weak, just because of how yeah. dumb and annoying he is. Um, but I think one of the but Finnick is strong Dorn, though. Finnick is strong. That's one thing reason yeah, I was disappointed yeah. that they may have killed her off so quick. Is that she's an interesting character I wanted more out of. Um, I think ultimately this is probably at least for this season a below average episode, maybe one of the bottom three. But it is lifted by just the sheer amount of gleeful nostalgia that we'll go into here in a minute. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, well, let's cut to line of the episode. I don't really have that many. There's not There's a lot of thing. great lines here. I will say, um, you know, one of them here, Finnick, uh, a Mandalorian. Uh, been a long time since I've seen one of your kind. That's a pretty good one. Um, but I think I'm ready to award it. You ready? What you got? You want to be a bounty hunter, make the best deal for yourself, and survive. That is a good line. I like that a lot. It's about yeah. the best we have. Again, there's not, you know, most of the time when I'm choosing these best lines, I like it to be a line that's that carries a little bit more weight considering the overall context of the series than, you know, what's going on in that that individual scene. Not a lot of that here because really it's a, it's a pretty tight whodunit, you know, let's, let's, let's get our hero in and out of trouble. Otherwise, pretty much all we really have to turn to are kind of one-liners, which are, they're, they're good one-liners. I mean, several of the lines that we see Mando say to Toro in response to various moments, like, you know, if they were brand new. Yeah, they were. Wait, I don't have any Beskar. Nope. No, you don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those are pretty good. Yeah. But they, they don't, they don't carry any weight at all. You, they, 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 they would be fun in the moment, but they don't survive this episode in terms of our memory. Otherwise, the, the Finnick line, the overall dialogue that she has, is really interesting, which is, again, part of the reason I'm hoping that she's not actually dead, because it seems like wasted potential. Yeah, absolutely. Well, anyway, there we go. Uh, best line of the episode, you want to be a bounty hunter, make the best deal, and survive, which... Um, interestingly enough, the kid immediately uh, does not do, <laughs> but it not is pretty. Deal. But it is pretty good advice, I think, for you know a bounty hunter who's getting do, started. Do you think she would have betrayed him if he immediately? Un- I, I don't think she would have betrayed him right away. I think she may uh, have eventually, police- but not right away. She, 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 you know, if if he didn't shoot her, I think she would have known that she could have manipulated him at the drop of a hat. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to kill him right away. I think what she, if I was, you know, my read on her was that she would have not killed him right away because that would have been dumb. She wants to take out the Mandalorian herself too. She would have used him as bait to then kill the Mandalorian like with a sniper shot or something. Like have him go out and, you know, greet the Mandalorian in the dunes and then just drop him like that. Drop them both like that. Yeah, yeah, probably. Okay, let's get to, I think, the, the part of the episode that you have been rip and raring to go. <laughs> I've been holding you back, Spencer. I'm gonna let you go. Uh, most nostalgic moment of the episode. Oh, we get so many. We get so many from the very first scene, and we get to see Luke's targeting computer from his X-wing back in New Hope. Going on to seeing Tatooine. Going on to see Mos Eisley pit droids, the Mos Eisley Cantina, speeder bikes, Corellia name dropped, Dubaks, Banthas, Tusken Raiders. It's just so great. This is straight New Hope catnip just piled on themselves. For me, though, and I'm curious what your opinion is, the ultimate nostalgia moment for me, it's a little odd one associated with the Mos Eisley Cantina. 
of where did you notice that is there is one key device missing from the entrance of the Moss Eisley Cantina that was in the New Hope movie? No, what was it? There is a droid sc- in the New Hope movie. There is a droid scanner at the door, and the first thing that Luke and C three PO and R two D two are yelled at by the bartender Woo her is your droids. We don't like their kind here. Make them leave. That mm-hmm. droid scanner is missing, and as a result of that, we have a droid bartender replacing Woo her and. We have a cameo from one of the most seemingly insignificant but important characters in all of the Star Wars lexicon. Did you notice the little astromech droid that shows up for a brief cameo just walking around the bar? Uh-huh. I sure did. R5-D4. The droid that blew his motivator so that R2-D2 and Luke could ever link up, arguably the most important character in all of Star Wars for just that moment, appears having been rebuilt and alive nine years later. Or it was a... Another droid that now it's our make a model. Okay, don't, right. don't spoil my fun. This is R five D four. I'm not going to hear anything else. Gotcha. It was rebuilt. Got it. Got it. Got it. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. for me, it was you know, it's you're 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 more of a details guy. I'm more of a, a, a sort of um, hit me in the feels type of thing. And when I heard that, when I heard that air traffic controller say Mos Eisley, oh, yeah, and I thought, yes, we're going to Tatooine. That 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 rush that I got there, that was the nostalgic moment of the episode for me. Uh, and I'm right there with you that the moment they said Moss Eisley spaceport, I was five years old again, watching Ben Kenobi and Luke overlooking that town, talking about it as a hive of scum and villainy, just right back there in that moment. It was perfect. Really, really good. And so, you know, I think that, you know, if I'm going to talk about the Mandalorian, folks, I'm trying to sell folks on it. I, I sell it through the lens of this episode, I think in that, Hey, you know, you don't have to know everything about the expanded Star Wars universe to enjoy this show. You can watch it, and it's 35 minutes of a our hero, you know, our the thing we want, the baby Yoda, the thing we want to protect, and then a whole series of you know wacky events that that go on that are fun to watch. I mean, I don't know about you, but the episode blew by to me. I mean, it, oh, it, it went I mean, it's 35, 35, 37 minutes, but it went by very fast for me. But I would I would caveat that with description of if you are a Star Wars fanatic like you and I are, you're going to get a lot from each episode, even the episodes that in the grand scheme of things seem to not be that important. And this is one of the things I love about some of the new, adapt- new adaptations of Star Wars, Star Trek, is when it's so obvious that they were made by a fan. When they're made by somebody that you know has to do their own thing, has to bring it to a modern era to a certain degree, but it's still written as such a love letter to everything else that the fans have so enjoyed about the series. That's what you're getting out of this. You can count on it being its own strong, independent show, being very much a space western, space opera kind of thing, while at the same time providing you the reassurance that this is made by somebody with a deft hand and a love for the material. Now, Spencer, you are a known very cheap man. Uh, in so many ways, yes. Go on. But do you have a Disney Plus subscription? I got a Disney Plus subscription for the purpose of watching this show. Do you still have it? I still have it. That's how I watched okay. it today. Awesome. Okay, so on Disney Plus, they actually have an accompanying series where John Favreau does like I think four or five episodes about the making of the Mandalorian season one. I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, and so and in it, he he explains how he made the show, and I think that when he when he explains how he made the show, what we ended up getting made a lot more sense to me. So let me explain what I, I mean by that. So he is the showrunner he's a traditional showrunner of the mandalorian but he did not write all of the mandalorian and he did not direct any episodes 
He's showrunner. So he sets it all up. He kind of is the invisible hand in the background making sure everything works. But you have writers, directors, actors, everything that actually make the show. And what he did is in his incredible um, fame and, and power that he has in Hollywood, he grabbed a different director for each episode, I believe. And all of them were, he knows personally, were Star Wars fans growing up. I did not know that. That's lovely to be able to pull that off. Yeah. So he did, he was, he had the, um, he had the good fortune to be able to hire people who all had a nostalgic view of the series. He didn't have to get anybody up to speed. And so when I saw that, I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. So all of these little moments that you see in each individual episode that looks like so much care is being given to it well of course it is because you go to these directors who you know know i mean they know that they know how to direct right you know the, the getting the shot and doing the scene and making right, the sense, all trend. that stuff they know all that but they know this is my 135 minute chance to jump into star wars universe <laughs> let me make it count right yeah <laughs> but anyway i would i would recommend uh checking that out you probably don't need to watch all five episodes but at least the first one's really good because he does a round table with all of those directors where he asks them to to talk about what Star Wars means to them, their approach to each episode, all that stuff. It's good, good conversation. I have to check that out. I didn't know that was there. Yeah. All right. Anything else you want to talk about for Mandalorian season one, episode five? I'm excited about these next three episodes. Again, I think this being an, a real, relatively, relatively short eight episode season is kind of built around a valley and that we have some very strong initial episodes, a bit of a tail off here in the center of where episodes that are fine, but maybe a little bit by the numbers. But these last three, man, these are just going for an incredible rise to, to finish out this season. I am looking forward to the next three episodes. I'm definitely looking forward to our season two coverage, which we're going to try to get out as quickly as possible. We're not going to do it probably week by week, but hopefully we'll eventually catch up with the with the series as they do release. Because uh, I, I did find out that Mandalorian season two is going to be week by week. They're not going to do. Which gives us more time. <laughs> exactly. So time for us to catch up. Um, and I can say on a personal note, Spencer, I am very glad to be back doing this podcast with you. I really enjoyed it. Me too, man. All right, man. I will catch you next week where we tackle Mandalorian season one, episode six. See you. Yeah,